Actually, and the cops are outside. And we're back. And we're back. Um, we're my, we, my name is Nick. And my name is Nat. And we are here <laughs> in the clubhouse, treehouse. Welcome to another episode of the JCAS Presents. I'm going to cough. Keep talking. Nick and Nat. Consume and obey. Yeah, I did it. Right. Yeah, brilliant. Great. Great. We, now, uh, anyone that's listening for the first time, rest assured, you're in a fucking safe pair of pair of hands. <laughs> um, so, um, uh, wh- what have you been? Uh, wh- is that is that an intro enough? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, we're just going to talk about stuff we've seen this week, and then uh, the second half of the show, uh, we'll a deep dive. We'll, 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 we'll talk. Well, it's a deep dive. Uh, uh, maybe Shallow like dive. maybe like we're skimming. The, the the surface of a, of we'll a, having, we'll of a paddling dive, pool. We'll be diving into a, a, some water which is probably dangerous. Dangerous water, yeah. Dangerously shallow. Uh, we've, both, we've both seen the same film this week, so, um, yeah. But have you, um, uh, before we before we talk about films, anything interesting happened to you this week? Oh, nothing remotely happens apart from watching some films. Oh, yeah. The same cool. as every week. Yeah, right, brilliant, good. Uh, it always actually does freak me out a little bit when you've got something to talk about that isn't. <laughs> I'm just like, oh god, this must be bad. Um, uh, but it's f- it's, f- it's fine. But do you know what I do? I do worry about this. Where it's like, what have I done this week? And it's like, oh, it's all right. I've seen some films, <laughs> <laughs> but that's all I've done. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think that that's a bad life. It's not. I, I tell you what I did. I bought a slow cooker this week. Oh yeah! Oh, that's a proper thing to have done. Well done. Well, yeah, but I well, I mean, I don't know what what do you envision the process of that was. I think of it a slow cooker is like is that like an argo where you're putting things in ovens for hours and hours, days, and you go, oh, it just falls off the bone. That's yeah. what I imagine when people talk about slow cookers. That yeah, phrase. yeah, but I thought maybe the process that you imagined was you know I put on some nice clothes and I went to John Lewis and. I went through the electrical. Had a chat with the guy there. I just ordered it off Amazon in my pants. <laughs> I was like, slow cooker. It's arrived. It's like 1.5 litres, which sounds bigger than when yeah. you actually get it and you realise. Well, 1.5 litres is not even a two litre bottle of Coke, is it? And if so, when I'm boiling down my Pepsi Max Cherry, PMC, when I'm boiling it down to get like just a, a rich syrup, mm-hmm. <laughs> a PMC. Sugar free syrup. Is that to go on a, a I, ham or something? No, it's just going in my, in my mouth. <laughs> and um, when I when I'm doing that, uh, I have to do it in batches. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, so I bought uh, I bought a, a, it's an, a liter and a half. I made a uh, I made a beef casserole with, um, and I'm not a big fan of beef, and I'm actually going to cut it down. Oh, well, cut it down. I, I basically eat it twice a year. Right. Uh, but I wanted to like test out this pressure cooker. I'm worried that all the vegans are going to get angry. It's like, no, I've been. I've, do you know what I've done? I've substituted cheese for vegan cheese. Yeah, and also I'm trying to. I'm trying to lose a bit of weight. I've, <laughs> no, I'm not. Gonna, I'm trying to lose a bit of weight. And the, uh, the, the I've, I'm doing like this low fat thing where you get a fajita. Yeah, you put one square of vegan cheese in in the corner of the round. Fajita. Yeah. You fold it until it's a triangle. Right. Uh, it, there's sometimes a bit of cheese that's poking out the end, so you just tuck that in, microwave it for a minute and a half. Yeah. And when it comes out, it tastes like a quesadilla. And does it? Yeah. Oh, that's right. I've invented that myself. Yeah, I can see that. And it takes a minute and a half 
plus prep time. So let's say a minute and 45 seconds. <laughs> and then you microwave it. And uh, yeah, it tastes like it tastes like it's a lot worse for you than it is. And it's like a quick snack. So it's good. Um, anyway, so I did like this slow cooking yesterday and I made like this beef casserole. Oh my God. I mean, there wasn't any bone, but if there was a bone, it would have fallen off. It would have fallen off the bone. It would have. Like the meat just like disintegrated. It was incredible. Um, but there you go. So that's what I did. That isn't. And besides from that, watched a bunch of films. Watched some films, yeah. 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 Yeah, we watched a film together, didn't we? Right after the show last week. Oh yeah, we went to see Rashomon. So did we? Get, did we make it? We made it. We made it. We were, oh, that helicopter is fucking. It's like something out of it's the um, Escape from New York uh, helicopters, all looking for. No, it's just a. It's a the Ray Liotta helicopters. The Ray it's, we're having. <laughs> yeah. We're having a. Good, uh, by the way, uh, rack up some more cocaine, Nathaniel. <laughs> We need it to have these chats. Um, <laughs> um, uh, God, it's so annoying. It's so loud. It's, it's probably one of these things you'll listen to it back and no one else can hear it. But. Oh, everyone can hear that. <laughs> oh, right, right. We're, in, we're up in... What were we just about to say? We went to see, right, so we went to see... Um, we had to climb down the rope, which was in, you know, added time onto the, the journey. Yeah. Um, and then we made it. Um, it's in a later showing. We're going. We had two options. Seven thirty at the picture house. We did go, and uh, and they didn't open the doors till right on the wire, did they? They didn't. They didn't. So we we, we had time no to waiting spare. around. No waiting around at the picture house. You, yeah. know, you don't like sitting there for hours. You don't need a flicks magazine. We're you just kind of just go in there, and it's just like right now we're in the adverts. Right, okay. Um, yeah, Rashomon. Uh, now, what do you think? I, I really had an, a good time with it. Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, it sounds it sounds grim because it's quite a grim subject matter, but I thought it was really. Uh, I'd seen I'd seen it in university, and I when I was watching it, I was going, I don't remember any of this. You've already seen Rashomon, but like years and years ago, and I had such sort of like sketchy memories of it. That I sort of only really got the kind of gist of it, like yeah, yeah, I get it. That's the. But it was, it was watching it this time, and probably because you watch it in the cinema. How, how good that stuff works, where you've got a present and a past, which is being examined from different people's points of view. Yes. Although mainly the same three people recounting a trial, so you've almost got three different, uh, three different timelines going on. Yes. Uh, and when they're in the present, it's always raining, and that bit really struck me as the present. Uh, the present being fourteenth uh, century Japan. Yes. So yes. Or was <laughs> it? Or was it? Or, or was it sixteenth century Japan? It's set in the fifteen hundreds, right? Must yes. be. Like all of his other. Okay, but it's not quite a samurai film, is it? No. Although it's set in that sort of era, the sort but of feudal era. It, it, yeah, it's 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 not like it is set in that era. And if you did see it, it yeah, it's set hundreds. Of, so when you say the present, it mm-hmm. is hundreds of years in the past. Right. So, um, so Rashomon. Uh, when was it made? Nineteen fifty. Nineteen fifty. And it's a an Akira Kurosawa movie. Uh, and as I was saying last week, Akira Kurosawa, uh, black and white, Japanese language uh, uh, m- movies made in the fifties. It's like rings off alarm bells, left, right, and so, uh, am I going to be able to sit through this? Um, uh, but basically, he is the godfather of the modern-day blockbuster. Hidden Fortress turned... Uh, George Lucas um, stole loads of stuff off Hidden Fortress and put it into Star Wars, uh, which, uh, you know, 
he freely admits. Um, R2-D2 and C-3PO are basically characters from Hidden Fortress. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they weren't robots, but they were two, <laughs> they were two kind of... I've not seen Hidden Fortress, so I, I don't know. But, um, but this, is, this is part of the thing. It's like I'm, I'm getting around to doing it. There's a season on at the BFI or broader than that. But um, they're they're doing a Kurosawa season, and and obviously like stuff like your this I'm just recapping from last week. But your Jimbo is uh, basically um, uh, fistful of dollars, and uh, the Ma- Seven Samurai is the Magnificent Seven. So all of these things got turned into like Western m- movies, um, and uh, and Kurosawa put like Japanese filmmaking making on on the map, um, and what's interesting about um, Rashomon is that it was one of the first films to uh, experiment with telling a narrative from like f- I think it's four different points of view mm, yeah yeah um, yes I was so th- I went into this full of I'm very excited about it yeah uh, and I saw two Kurosawa movies this year, this week mm-hmm. I saw Rashomon on the Sunday with you, yeah. and now on the Wednesday I saw. Uh, how do we say what he pronounces? Kajamusha. Kajamusha. So I saw Kajamusha, which was from 1980. So Rashomon 1950, uh, Kajamusha is 1980. So it's like a, it's a gap of 30 years. Like, and I think Kajamusha got made shortly after, um, uh, like. Kurosawa made a film in 1970 which got like critically destroyed and then he he, he went into like a, a slump of deep depression uh, and then uh, George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola came along and they produced Kajimusha and they sort of like said well, right we're gonna uh, uh, we're gonna get you funded and and they uh, put together this movie and it is like this huge it's a three hour, I think how long was Oh, it's sleep. Uh, and like that's like ninety minutes, ninety-five minutes or something. Yeah, and Kajimusha is the opposite end where it's three hours, um, and some of the shots in it are absolutely incredible. Like I, I think his black and white photography is fantastic, mm. and Kajimusha is in color and, um, uh, because it was nineteen eighty by that point, and um, some of the photography in it is absolutely incredible. What I would say with both of them is that I. Even though I was paying attention, the setup eluded me where I was never 100% sure what the fuck was going on with either of the films. <laughs> which sort of with Rashomon was all right because I could kind of like go, okay, it's from you know different points of view and we, right. we're going to... The, but with Kajimusha, it was like three hours of just tell me what, what's happening. Okay. It's about people that... Um, it's about... Um, it's about a warlord who's got a double, but the, not and so you go fine. That's fine. He's got a double, but not only does he have a double, but he's also got a brother that looks exactly like him. <laughs> and then the brother that looks exactly like him has got the sort of like um, very obvious sort of like uh, makeup on, mm-hmm. um, but not like prosthetics, like uh, like face paint. And um, and I spent and, and and I'm not sure how often they're in the same shot together, so I spent a lot of the time going. Are they the same actor, or are they different actors? Uh, are they playing? I, it was like impossible. 
It was just the fact that they added in there was an extra element that there's not just two guys that look like each other. There's three guys that look each other like each other. And then it was never kind of like so I I really struggled with that with with Rashomon. It was like and I think what's happened is I've seen one of the films at the beginning of his career which is getting into it, which is him kind of like going this is it and then it became a lot more kind of like appealing. Yeah. Not not appealing, a lot more um not even dumbed down, but but I, I don't know. I guess that, that I guess it would be a lot more easy for someone like me to follow. Whereas uh, Kajimusha was at the other end of his career, where he just had a suicide attempt, and he was just like, "Fuck these guys!" And as apparently Toho, who produced it, they said it can't be any longer. Kurosawa, Akira, it can't be any longer than three hours. And so when he submitted it to the Japanese uh, film board, um, he delivered them a cut that was 179 minutes, 30 seconds long, <laughs> right? And then when he released the same film in America two months later, he cut 20 minutes. So he was just <laughs> like, you, no, no, you guys can't tell me how long my fucking film was. And, and they did because it was still under three yeah, hours. Yeah. But he like took it right up to a yeah. breaking point. And then he deliberately, you know, he... he, he and maybe he did it for the Western audience, but he cut 20 minutes. So yeah. obviously there was 20 minutes to cut. Um, so yeah, I did sort of like, and also I was very tired last Sunday by the time we finished. <laughs> we had a Sunday lunch. And okay. uh, uh, yeah. Um, I, was, I, I think it's beautiful. It was a beautiful looking film. I'd seen the week earlier, I'd seen another film earlier called No Regrets for Our Youth. And they that is much more sort of, sort of straightforward it's kind of like a political kind of polemic thing that's based on like a true story about um a college professor that was accused of uh being a communist and it's much more straightforward drama but it doesn't feel modern in the way that five years later when you watch Rashomon I was really struck watching those sort of a week apart how modern it is in terms of like a modern for today rather than 1950 and that was like the film i think that went out to america and got sent around the world at film festivals and when you look at it, you think oh god everyone else must have been like if you think of hollywood studio movies a friend of mine this week said oh do you recommend me some films from the 50s and i was i realized when i was recommended like hollywood films how sort of stagey they are including things like hitchcock's and things which is so studio bound and so kind of stagey by comparison and you go god that's 1950 and there was no one in Hollywood making films that were remotely so, like this. So what are you talking about? You're talking about stuff like James Stewart films, like Shop Around the Corner. And yeah, but even things like Vertigo and things where it feels like it's got bits that are outside, but even bits that, like little shots that are outside, feel like much more stagey. And so much of it is all back projection. Vertigo looks, I mean, I would say that Vertigo was probably a huge influence on Dick Tracy. Yeah. Where, <laughs> yeah. where you know... From what we were talking about. That's almost like, what's that, 58, 59, something like that? And that's like, um, and that's still in this studio system where you'll feel like it's all shot in big studios. It doesn't feel real in in the way that um, Rashomon does. And it has that bit at the start where it's just all the, all the stuff I was saying in the, the present of the 1500s is that thing where it's always raining. So whenever it cuts, where you get this noise kicks in of rain and you go, Oh, we're back in the present again. Right. So you kind of know where you are narratively by the weather. So what was what was going? So there was the three guys at the beginning that were all talking. Yeah. So they're almost the present 
bit and they're referring back to a trial that you also see. And then the trial is them getting each sort of uh, affidavit of the characters they're talking to about what's happened to them. So there's the three guys in the rain. Yeah. And then they do a flashback to a trial. Mm-hmm. And then the trial does a flashback to the three stories. Yeah. Fuck, that's what I've lost. <laughs> it was a flashback within a flashback. It was. I hadn't thought of that till I, till I was explaining it just then. It's like, right, yeah. Okay, yeah. So you've got two flashbacks. Yeah, and if you miss the first flashback, yeah. then you're like, who's telling these fucking stories? <laughs> I do get the fact that there's like, uh, there's a bandit, there's a soldier, and there's... Um, woodcutter. Oh, hang at on. At the end. The woodcutter's the guy at the end. The woodcutter's the guy at the end. Yeah. But, and, but And there's a bride. Yeah. There's a bride and the husband, who I thought was like more like a bodyguard at first, but he's obviously the husband, and is escorting his bride through a forest and is seen by the bandit. And uh, so it's basically you get those three stories. And the, no, the first story is kind of like that overview, isn't it, of the what the woodcutter sees. And at the end, you find out that he's not told the whole story. And he sort of starts, you start getting more yeah. of it. I, I, I mean, I was, and, and also, you know, when you, you know, when you fall asleep and uh, when you're in your eyes, you're like, did I just blink for a long time <laughs> or have I just blacked out for 30 minutes? Uh, there was a couple of moments like that where I was like, hang on a minute. I, I, and I think I may have li- lost a chunk here yeah. and there. There's um, all the, all the sort of trial stuff is really stagey. And that's what, that's what really made me notice how like the, all the sort of flashback stuff feels very real. It's filmy. I don't know if this is on purpose. Probably is. I'm sure someone's written a clever essay about it. The stuff that's in the sort of present bit where they're relaying what's happened in the past feels real. It feels like real life. The trial bit feels like a, almost like a play mm. where they're just, it's a locked off shot and you've got one person talking into camera, essentially, to the jury or the judge or whatever, with like the other two characters in the background almost observing it. And that bit feels really stagey because it's so static. And, right. And then you've got these, um, the past bit, I guess, is the film. And that's all, has that sort of fictional element depending on who's telling it. Um, so that all seemed that way. I'm saying this just thinking about it now, that that has a sort of different feel. Right. So you've got these different sort of... Well, the majority of feels. the action, the majority of the action takes place in the woods. Yeah. And um, and that's kind of like, they're they're there, they're outdoors. Um, and um, there's a really good fight scene where it's basically it's a locked off shot and it's just two guys uh, it's funny as well and it's kind of like there's just two guys that are basically scrambling around uh, on on the forest floor that are trying to get a dagger and they're sort of like fighting each other and it's really scrappy and sloppy and it's just a locked off shot and then uh, and it's just filming these two guys that are sort of like resting around on the ground and even though, you know, when you look at stuff by today's standards, it's not just like, you know, hundreds of edits, but it's they're flying through windows and, you know, uh, uh, there's huge explosions and there's loads of CGI. And, and this ju- it's just a, a shot in black and white of two guys rolling around on the forest floor. And it's funny and it's tense and it's all of these things. And it's not just like I'm looking at an old thing and going, oh, yeah, no, it's still tense, and it's not really. It was just, there was genuinely kind of like stakes involved and peril, and uh, and for something that's so straightforward and simple, and, the, and and you can see the way they've done it, it's kind of like, it's just, it's kind of, he's put a camera down and filmed two guys that are basically 
I don't know, it didn't even look choreographed. Mm. And to get like all of that out of it, you know, uh, all that value out of it, the fact that it was it was tense and it was um, and it was funny, uh, I think that's, that 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 was incredible. Yeah. And it sort of like it, it reminds you that you can do loads with with very little in film, and that um, and that it often works better. I think we're also like because you see so much stuff that's influenced by it. You do when you think of that era that it came out in. It really must have been like nothing else that people were watching. Like that's what I mean. Like if you're comparing it to like Hollywood films from that time, yeah, you would be like, "What is this?" Even the fact that the camera's so, you know, like moving about, and it feels like it's not, it's not these kind of like very nice, um, um, like Hitchcock things are really nicely composed shots, and but they're sort of still or they're on, you know, they're on uh, rails or whatever. Whereas this just feels like rough. Yeah. And it feels really like anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked it, but um, uh, but I did str- I did struggle a little bit in the moment. Kajamusha is um, yeah. I mean, it was it was really long, and and it was it was kind of like the it was very nihilistic in terms of like as a film. It was definitely a guy that was depressed or that was coming out of a depression that made it. That um, it's huge, like it's it, like it just—it's so epic and big, and it's got like these huge battle sequences. And when you're watching it, you're kind of like, he—he he did all that. I mean, they—they they look massive. It's it, you know, um, it's yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's beautifully shot. Um, the story is—if you miss a bit at the beginning, it's fairly impenetrable, and it's three hours, and it's slow, and even. Akira Kurosawa would admit didn't have to be three hours long because he cut twenty minutes <laughs> for the American version. So, yeah, it is. Um, it, it, it's it's it, it's like five stars. It's like the, one of the greatest films you've ever seen, except for when you get down to the plot, which is kind of like it's very baggy. Okay, and um, complicated. No, I don't think it is complicated. I think because it's so simple, it, it becomes complicated because right. you're looking for stuff. Um, but I think more 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 happened than um, I follow. I didn't fall asleep this time. I think the the person I'm sort of I mean, the person I'm much more interested in is both of them. It's him and Toshiro Mifune. And whenever you see him in these films, who's he, Toshiro Mifune? It is the bandit in Rashomon, and he seems to be in all these films from the kind of fifties up through I think to like mid sixties. So he's in he's a guy in Throne of Blood and Yojimbo. Um, and it feels like he's so. I think he's really charismatic, and he seems so is he different. In, is in, he in Seven Samurai? Yes. Is he the one on the poster from the Seven Samurai? So he's like the poster for the Samurai, or the the main image from Seven Samurai is you've got a samurai who's kind of like yelling, and it looks like it's like this battle cry. But when you watch it, he's actually the fool. I think so. I can't picture that poster. I think he, he's the more like uh, yeah he's more. He's got the helmet on and he's like oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. And um, he's also um, uh, in the, the the bandit from Rashomon. Yeah. Who again looks like this magnificent warrior and when you see him he's kind of like this cowardly. Yeah. And I just think he's a real like you see him in these he's so different in every. Mm. And when you see him in real life he's like the coolest guy and in some films I watched like, I, I tried to watch some chorus hours last year and there were. And even in ones that are much more like sort of contemporary dramas, 
he's like again sort of he sort of feels incredibly kind of good looking and when he's in the contemporary ones he really does look like the sort of so 50s kind of glamorous as well whereas often he's like either i mean in yojimbo he's like this very cool samurai but like where he's a little bandit he just looks like you wouldn't at all think this guy'd scrub up well. Right, <laughs> just yeah. like, he's such a what's the word like chame- chameleonish. Yeah. Like he's so different in every. And he's the one where it feels like I think more and more when I think of it like, oh Akira Kurosawa. I think what I'm thinking often is Toshiro Mifuni. So much I associate him with being in those films. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So I think um, I think basically in between Rashomon and Kajimusha, uh you've got wall to wall bangers. And that's the stuff I think that I've gone advanced level first. Yeah. Oh, even though like when I was at university, we watched we watched uh, some uh, uh, Kurosawa. I think like that was 20 years ago. I think I've gone in kind of like I've gone in kind of advanced level first. And now it's like, okay, right. I've started on hard level. And now I'm like, okay, right. I've got to. I've got to work my way backwards to some of the classics I haven't seen. Uh, The other film that I saw this week was. at the cinema, I went, to, uh, I went to see Modern Times. Never seen it. I don't know if I've ever seen a Chaplin film all the way through. Last, uh, was it last night? I went to see it on Friday. Was it? Day before uh, yesterday. Day before yesterday, yeah. Modern Times on a Friday night at the mm-hmm. BFI. Uh, screen 2. Not the best Not the best screen. Uh, not my favourite screen. I have to say I was uh, p- pretty disappointed. Uh, I've seen some Buster Keaton in screen 1. Um, uh, it is definitely the place to go for um, watching a black and white silent movie um modern times the charlie chaplin movie absolutely fantastic okay it was genuinely funny is that the one where he's on the cogs yeah but that's <laughs> such a small part of it and right. it, what is brilliant about what I, i'm not going to go on and on about modern times but like modern times uh charlie chaplin um yeah but it's not funny is he um I'm, i've always been a buster keaton fan i went to see it with uh, adam riches and he's uh, and he was saying that he's a harold lloyd fan so neither of us were like sold. Yeah, yeah, it was just like we'll go and see it because it's there. But we were going to go and see something else, but we we didn't we didn't get around to it in the end. Um, so we went to we went to see Modern Times. Yeah, um, Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was really brilliant, really funny. I think it was nineteen thirty. Um, uh, what is what was what's funny about it is that it's it's so modern. There you go. <laughs> like and uh, and and. One of my big fears about sitting down to watch anything, it was 90 minutes long. Right? Not that that's a big thing, but I was just like, after Kajamusha, I was just like, well, that's three hours. I can I can handle anything that's 90 minutes, anything. And uh, and even even Charlie Chaplin dicking around for 90 minutes. And you watch it, and yeah, it was, it was fucking good. What was great about it was that um, I've seen lots of bits from modern times it's the one when he's like roller skating in an apart- in a department store next to the edge of like a, yeah, a drop, yeah. uh, and he gets like um, he's working on machinery and he gets taken uh, sucked into like the, the machinery and he gets like um, dragged around all the cogs in the internal mechanism. Uh, there's loads of bits in it um, that are sort of familiar. What when you see like clips in isolation, what they don't do is tell any story. And what's great about Modern Times was that it like it was really sort of fast paced. Like each scene ran into the next scene, and there was a reason for it okay. happening, and it and and it told a story. It wasn't like self indulgent ten minute sketches where he's just sort of like improvising around some props. 
it's like each bit had a bit like to the point where the the mechanical cogs bit which is quite near the beginning that happens and you kind of go oh you could have done more with that i think you could have spent longer you know just establishing what it was that you were doing but it, it kind of gets straight into the gags it's genuinely funny there's another bit when um uh, he's he's in prison and one of the prisoners hides a load of cocaine in a salt shaker and so he starts <laughs> starts just basically uh putting loads and loads <laughs> of cocaine all over his food and then like and um and it's brilliant it's just you know and uh, there were so many bits like that. Then, it, then he gets like a job in a restaurant later on, and it sort of runs doesn't run out of steam, but it slows down. It slows down to a snail's pace, where you're kind of like going, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but just when you're noticing that this bit is just about to run out of, uh, you know, outstate its welcome, um, it kicks into like the final act, and then so they're like a series of uh, set pieces. That are sort of strung together into like a narrative. No, I would say it's a narrative that's got set pieces okay. attached to it. I don't think it, it didn't feel like it was the horse before the cart. It felt like it was actually. I was surprised with how much of a story it was telling, and it wasn't. It was weird because it wasn't exactly. It wasn't a hundred percent silent. Uh, you know, it's, it's at the beginning. You kind of like you roll your eyes a bit because it's like um, written by Charlie Chaplin. Directed by Charlie Chaplin, uh, starring Charlie Chaplin, compo- music composed by Charlie Chaplin. And you're kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a fucking ego trip. And then when you watch it, it's like, he is good. <laughs> like, he, it was really good. What's also funny is that when you watch it, you kind of like realise just how fake his moustache was and how his eyebrows are painted on yeah. with. And it's kind of like you go, how did I not notice that? When I was growing up, I'm really bad with any sort of silent stuff. I've never really seen. I've seen Buster Keaton, but I came to that late, and immediately was like, I don't know. I always got that impression, like I'll like you more, and yeah. because of that, I've never really bothered with Chaplin. Yeah. It's like I like Buster Keaton. Me too. Me. Too. Oh well, I've watched. I because a lot of this is eat, eating your vegetables, and yeah. I've forced myself to watch a lot of like Charlie Chaplin shorts and. Whenever you, you remember the works, and then whenever you went, used to go into the works in the mid two thousands, they'd always have sort of like a Charlie Chaplin shorts box set of stuff that didn't have like copyrights. Yeah. So I've seen like loads of stuff like that. I am a I am a Buster Keaton fan. I think his deadpan face and all the stunts yeah. that he does. They're like when you see the general and you realize that they did all of those stunts in camera and they were fucking dangerous, but they did uh, like they're incredible. Uh, uh, Steamboat Bill Jr. That's that's an incredible film. Um, that's the one with the house that drops on yeah. the front of the house that drops on. That's just incredible. There's loads of bits. This bit probably hung. Modern times probably in terms of storytelling hung together a lot more. I'd say, um, yeah. And it and it felt like really modern. When you look at films that were kind of made around about the same time, you know, in Hollywood. I can't remember when the original Gaslight was made, but when I saw, I think that was like late 30s uh, and I think when I saw the original British Gaslight before the American remake a couple of years later that starred uh, Ingrid Bergman that was the one that got all of the praise and the Oscars and everything like that but the original Gaslight um, do you know about Gaslight? Mm. They, made the, they made Gaslight in the late 30s which was based on a play uh, it wasn't a big hit the film and so 
someone was looking for a vehicle. The producer was looking for a vehicle for Ingrid Bergman. They, they and they said, "Well, we'll do Gaslight." Um, so they bought every single copy of uh, every print, every print of the original movie, and destroyed them all. Um, and they were basically gaslighting the audience into being <laughs> like, "That one never existed." Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, the Ingrid Bergman remake is good, and it does fix a couple of plot points that maybe would be stronger if they were the way they were in the remake. But the original is far superior. It's it's absolutely incredible. I think it's the director who kept... I think he was given a copy as a kind of salve to be like, oh, you can have a print, have your own one, but you can't show it anyway. That's just for you. It's a, it's a beautiful film. And, it's, and, yes. and that is an incredibly modern film where they're doing like dissolves, where you kind of... Um, where you look at it and you go, well, I mean, there's stuff in here that is the uh, ancestor of some of the edits that Martin Scorsese is doing in Goodfellas, you know. And um, and it's kind of like, it's you know, you can watch, you can see like the germs of it there. And um, uh, and then you find out, oh yeah, Martin Scorsese was a big fan of, uh, of Gaslight and then he did another one called uh, Queen of Spades. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so, so, so you look at these films that were made sort of right around about the same time. Comedy... Is it, it feels like modern times just felt like so like ahead of its time and so advanced in terms of kind of like um, like they're doing like visual jokes they're doing jokes that rely on your understanding of how films work um, they're doing kind of like uh, matte paintings um, it, there's all of this stuff that's being put together to yeah. make it into this um, special effects kind of uh, you know. Um, and I think that when you look at some of the tricks that they had to do with comedy, like the the, the comedy films of the thirties were like advancing, were advancing the um, the filmmaking art form. You know, it wasn't mm. just kind of like comedy was like um, uh, a cheap substitute. It was kind of like there was like the yeah, production see, values yeah, yeah. of something like Metropolis that's been put into modern times. And there's a really bit, there's two things that I'd say. There was one bit where Charlie Chaplin's in a shop at one point and there's a toy of Mickey Mouse. And it's just sort of like a background prop. I don't know whether um, uh, it would have been specifically requested or whether it was just sort of like there for a toy. I get the the impression, because it was Charlie Chaplin directing it, Charlie Chaplin would have been given a shout out to this new... Uh, little cartoon figure that was making the rounds. It was, you know, it's before. Yeah. Di- it, it's like a little. It's little. A little snapshot into an, a non-Disney-fied Hollywood, a non-Disney-fied yeah. uh, film. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, which industry? Um, where Charlie Chaplin was basically the Walt Disney of his time. He was the Mickey Mouse of his time, right? And. Um, he's seen these Mickey Mouse shorts and he's kind of like, as a little tip of the cap, he's put Mickey Mouse, a Mickey Mouse toy in the background of one of his shots. And it's kind of like this kind of, it's not like a passing of the torch, but it's kind of... Um, Homage. Or it's, it's, in, it's interesting because you can see kind of like that what a huge influence Mickey Mouse was as soon as he appeared like, yeah. at the time. It was, like a, it was like a big thing. The other thing was that the music is kind of, it's composed by, it's composed by Charlie Chaplin and then you listen to the music and the music's really familiar and you're kind of like going, oh, right. And, and then and both me and Adam had like the same, the same thought. 
which was, oh, well, it can't be the original score. They must have just kind of, like, replaced it with a modern score. But then you realise that, no, the, the music is Smile, the, the song Smile, mm. and Charlie Chaplin wrote it. And it's like, of course he did. And it had to have come somewhere, and it came from this film that we're watching now. But because the song Smile is so, you know, smile when your yeah. heart is breaking. And there's a bit towards the end of the film where Charlie Chaplin is going to sing, and you just assume, well, he's going to sing Smile, right? But he doesn't. And I think what happened was he wrote the music, and then he wrote the lyrics a lot later. Um, if he wrote the lyrics at all, but um, but he wrote the music for it. It, was, it was, yeah. There's so much good stuff in modern times. Yeah. So it was brilliant. I guess that's interesting. Yeah, you're right. That there's that there was that era when comedy was like pioneering in film. It wasn't like the sort of the sort of ugly stepsister to uh, to serious big films. Uh, and that way now, it's uh, people always say that, don't they? That it's very hard to get comedy to win Oscars and to sort of be seen as as valuable as um, drama is always seen as like preferable or the or the sort of the better thing to win stuff, and to the point where the, the Golden Globes do that thing, don't they? Where they split it up and go, well, it's a comedy. It's, yeah, it's comedy its thing. Comedy slash musical. It's not really. A, it's not a proper film. It's like it's good for what it is, but it's not. Mm. Uh, it's not like a proper film, like a drama. Yeah, and but uh, at the time, you know, it was. Uh, they were in between two world wars and there was a depression and all this other stuff and they needed comedy to keep people going. And um, uh, and it's kind of like looked down on. Mm. Um, or it's the cheaper, I guess it's the cheaper al alternative. But back then, they were event movies. Um, and the stunts that they were doing were kind of like, I guess it was the same as going to the circus, seeing the acrobats and stuff yeah. like that. And it's live. It's like in that kind of, I mean... It sounds a sort of silly thing to say, but I guess is that the equivalent of Tom Cruise hanging onto aeroplanes and things? Well, that's that? it. I mean, that's the, that's what gets me through Tom Cruise films is that this is like watching the modern day, you know, Buster Keaton. You've got to ignore all the other shit, but like, yeah, fine. Oh, yeah, look, he's really doing the stunts, but you know, fuck it. Okay, right. So it's time for some fan, fan mail. mail. If you got any, uh, oh, we'll do that at the end. Um, stab some fan mail. Uh, so, what's this? Ba, ba, ba. Time for fan mail. Oh, thank you, JC3000. Now, you are welcome. Um, here is it. You're saying I'm a lot this week, aren't you, JC3000? <laughs> um, yes, I am. Thank you for noticing. Or oh, you sound a little a bit, bit Jimmy Savile. Like Jimmy Savile this week. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, the first bit of fan mail we have is from. Uh, well, um, the first bit of fan mail we got this week was from Brian. Uh, uh, just to see who was the guy that uh, sent in the fan mail last week. Last week it was a guy, Mark Tomo, who sent our big long bit of fan Well, it wasn't a long bit of fan mail. I can't blame Mark for that, but it derailed us. Got to say, thanks for sending in the uh, sending in the fan mail last week, Mark Tomo. Uh, sorry, you didn't get a shout out. Okay, so here we go. Oh, without further ado, uh, Pete Dancer says, Hello, Nick, Nathaniel and Natalie. Natalie's not with us today. Uh, we last heard from you in 2021, so can I have a quick can I have quick reviews of Nope, Top Gun, Maverick, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Thor: Love and Thunder, Spider Man No Way Home, Jurassic World, Dominion, The Batman, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Book of Boba Fett, Andor, and or oh, oh, and, and or oh, and, 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 and,
pray. Oh, oh, and or, oh, and pray. The Predator the prequel and the Beatles get back on Disney. Thanks and yes, I'm a cunt. Thanks, Pete. Okay. Um, okay, right, yeah, sure. That's okay. a sort of short, short reviews. That's, so, that, that's, that's a bit of an update. So we'll do our one-word re- reviews, okay? One-word one reviews. reviews. So uh, first one-word review, nope. I'd say, yep. Hang on a minute, you're doing it. We've uh, got okay. to do it at the same okay. time, haven't we? Jeez, come on, Nathaniel. Okay, one-word reviews. Okay, nope. One, two, three, yep. yep. Okay, Top Gun Maverick. One, two, three, <laughs> yep. fine. Doctor <laughs> oh, Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. No. Liked, liked. Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Didn't, didn't, haven't seen it yet. I liked it. I think I liked it more than most people. Uh, Thor, I haven't seen it. Thor, Love and Thunder. Loved it. I thought it was really good. A lot of people seem to hate Everyone it. Everyone hated it. I thought it was really funny. As a st- as I think I liked it in the same way that I liked Halloween Ends, which was just like, uh, it's the 26th Marvel movie. At least they're doing something different this time. It's not the same story. It's not, the, you know. I, thought, I laughed all the way through I it. laughed all the way through it. I thought it was really funny. Brett Goldstein's in it at the end. Um, <laughs> what, what, more, what more could you want? Exactly. Um, yeah, Brett Goldstein having a cameo at the end is like, oh, that's what's been missing from all the other, <laughs> the other yeah. Marvel films. Um, They've nailed it now. Spider-Man No Way Home. No fine. Way home. Oh, yeah, I thought it was fine. Fine. Um, I, I, it was like, oh, wow, yeah, brilliant. You brought them all back and uh, you've got them standing around in the living room weird chatting with each other. The, Andrew Garfield's intro was weird. All of it was weird. Yeah. All of it was weird. It yeah. was done in a weird way. Like the bit where... Haven't, haven't you got um, Thomas Hayden Church? Are you just doing him as a CGI character? And yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was like... It was like Everyone was different. Everyone was really dressed different. They've all been redesigned in a way. It's like, they've just been sucked from a different dimension, right? You've like redesigned all the costumes. So all of it was a bit like, how's this all fit in? And it's like, oh, well, they've been taken from a moment before they died in their own films. And you go, right, but they're all dressed differently. Mm. And it, even those bits where that people speak about, where you've got the Andrew Garfield character saves uh, MJ, and it's like, oh, and it's like he's, he's done. Yeah, yeah. Like you can see that bit coming a mile away. When they do it in the film, it's played really... It's played really flatly. Like everything people are bringing to it, they're bringing to it. There's but no he filmmaking. Say, he says MJ, right? But it, isn't it Gwen that dies in his yeah, version? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So he basically saves her. And you can Do see you know what, though? I did cry at that bit. I, I just found I, that, it really that, flat. I, like, I felt nothing throughout the entire film. And then that bit, I was just like, like... I thought, well, maybe that's me then. I just felt like you could tell it felt like this is supposed to be a moment. And it didn't feel like anything to me. It oh. felt like... This feels like nothing. I thought like you've totally blown this. I thought the Andrew Garfield stuff worked the best out of everything in that film. Yeah, and, I, and it was nice seeing Tobey Maguire back and doing. I, I, you know, it, it, it worked in the way it was, but it also at the same time felt really cheap. And it was kind of like, all oh, right, you've done like a lot of scenes in living rooms and. Yeah, you know, it was it was yeah. Um, Jurassic oh, World Dominion. Never saw it. Absolute dog shit. Uh, the Batman. I liked it. Good. It I was. It. it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. Elvis. Oh, brilliant. All right. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Didn't get around to seeing it. Fine. Uh, the Book Fine. of Boba Fett. Uh, watched one and a half episodes. I liked it. I liked it. I, I, that was that was a bit more my speed. I think. Watched one and a half episodes, and then I was just like, I, you know. 
you've got to do something really good for Star Wars next for me to be remotely interested in watching something that's mediocre. Well, exactly. And and it's and it's like it's like the it's the next mediocre product that they've. Well, the one like, they haven't mentioned here is the Obi Wan one, which I thought was dreadful. Um, it, I mean that would have worked better as a film. I, there was so, there were like occasional moments where it was weird that it made you nostalgic for the prequels, but it, it there were occasional moments that I thought worked, and then the majority of it, nah. I didn't like it. And or oh, it's the best thing that Disney have ever done. Um, sure. Uh, and or. What would what I'd say for that? Um, again, I watched one and a half, two episodes, and I was like, "This is absolutely fine," but basically, um, uh, this, uh, Star Wars is dead to me, really. So I feel similar in that Andor's come out now, and I just wasn't bothered, and I find it extraordinary. And I've heard people say it's great, and maybe this is the thing that makes you go, "Oh, I'm back in. I'm sucked back in," because everyone seems to love it. Yeah, but I just, I just, I can't get the enthusiasm up to watch well, it. What Andor is is it's someone doing a hot take on what their version of Star Wars is, and you go, "That's brilliant!" And absolutely, and I'm all on board, and I want it to be like this Cold War detective kind of thriller mm-hmm. where we go, "Yeah, that sounds brilliant. It sounds absolutely great." But in order for me to watch that, I've got to put so much fuel into the furnace of restarting up the Star Wars engine in my heart again. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's just like. It's like, yeah, this it's might been a be a bad breakup. It, it <laughs> might be the best. It might be the best Star Wars thing that's out there at the moment. But um, unless it's going to be followed by a bunch of other incredible Star Wars stuff, and it and it and it gets me completely back on board with Star Wars, I'm pretty much done with it. You know, until someone tells me, do you know what I think they should do? I think they should redo the sequel tr- uh, trilogy. Uh, they should take George Lucas's blueprints. This, and if you're listening, Lucasfilm, uh, you can you can give me a tenner for this, right? <laughs> no, no, if you're listening, then give me the big bucks. Um, what they should do is they should redo the sequel trilogy, yeah. right? Um, uh, as kind of like alternate sequel trilogies, and they should do it off of the blueprints that George Lucas mm-hmm. did. And that way, all this is how you fix Star Wars. That way, all of the fanboys that hate the sequel trilogy, at least we'll have the George Lucas version of it within George Lucas's lifetime. So just make the, tr- make the sequel trilogy that George Lucas planned, CGI everyone, uh, if you can't get the original cast back and Carrie Fisher died, but just like CGI it all, uh, even do it as an animated thing, but like do George Lucas's sequel trilogy. And then while you're doing that, let new filmmakers completely, uh, 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 you know, have their own take on the prequel trilogy. So redo the prequel trilogy while you're at it and do an alternate prequel trilogy trilogy that gets you into the original style because the prequel trilogies could be remade. And, and, and every time I think about them, I think of like an, another way that you could have done it better than the way it was done. So I think just do both of them. Then you've got six films that are all coming out. Everyone's, ha- everyone's sort of either happy or placated or equally annoyed with each other. <laughs> and I just think just, just redo everything. And then leave the originals alone. Um, Prey, the Predator prequel. Never saw it. Never Absolutely, got to it. it was it was great. It was br- it was brilliant. It is um, what is brilliant about it is it's kind of like takes um, Predator, Predator Two, and Prey, and it makes like a trilogy of uh, oh, okay. films that are sort of vaguely connected, but not not like to the point where. 
it, it improves Predator Two by proxy. It's like it's. I thought Prey was great. Okay. Um, I d- yeah, we'll get around to it. I mean, I, think I, I I'm. I realise when the more we talk about Predator, how much I just like all of them, even the ones that no one else likes. I just like. I think there's just something about it, as like B movies, that I just really enjoy about all of the Predator films. I think Predator One is. The one, if not the best action film of the eighties, I think it's well, maybe that's a bit much, but it is. Arnold, mm. It's my favorite eighties Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Mm. I think he's, I think it's incredible. Predator Two, I like a lot more. These, I watched it again recently, and it felt felt like it was like a Dark Horse comic. I like it, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's good. I think it's really good. Um, Predators never really liked, but I only really watched it once, and I think I watched it on a plane. Predators, uh, uh, the Predator, absolutely hated. Aliens versus Predator, Alien versus Predator, Requiem, terrible. Um, but um, yeah, Prey, I, I thought was kind of like it did a good job in kind of like um, you you put you put that along kind of your cycle of Predator movies that you rewatch, then um, it sort of improves everything by just I being don't part of it. Like Good. And the Beatles get back. I thought it was incredible. Absolutely mind meltingly incredible. I thought it was I loved it so much. Um even in the build up to it, I was a bit like, Oh yeah, I'm sure it'll be fun. But I had no idea. And it's it and what's fascinating about it is just all the little things that it's not even big moments. It's lot there's bits where like um George Harrison is talking to Ringo about what he was watching on telly last night. And it then cuts to someone in the raid that have obviously found what it was. I guess the original program doesn't exist anymore. And it cuts to uh, the, the Radio Times and it starts, what they're talking about is some sort of science fiction film that was on. Right. Or it must be a TV show. You go, and they're just by discussing this film they saw last night. And then it's got the Radio Times thing showing what they're talking about. Right. And you go, God, this is incredible. I mean, I think it's just because they're fascinating people of a thing that happened 50 years ago and you're basically getting so much minutiae and even things like, look at what they're having for breakfast. They're having some toast that's mm. been cut into triangles. Well, I thought it was like it was like being in the Big Brother house with the Beatles. Yeah. You know, like in the old days when we all used to watch Big Brother, I used to have Big Brother on in the background to just help me sleep, you know, mm. and it was a bit like that. And did you ever see the... Um, Maybe we went together. Um, we went to see. I went to see the. Was it Apollo Eleven? Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. Documentary yeah. where they took all of the footage from the moon landing yes. from from the from the launch, and they put it all together. That's incredible. And film. it's like and and so it, it was like they filmed so much on that original Apollo Eleven launch. Yeah, and it was all archived. But, but like, no one. But they filmed. Was it the Apollo Eleven launch? Yeah, yeah. And so so like to the point where you'd see some guys walking down a corridor and opening a door and then there'd be footage of the other side yeah. of the door You'd opening the and then shot. coming through it so when they've edited it all together it feels like it's absolutely it's like a narrative film there's so much everything absolutely everything and then when you see the film you're watching it and it's really 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 slow but you it, but but it's building towards something and then what happens is as it's getting to the launch then all of a sudden you're in it's 10, nine, and then you're like, oh, fucking hell, we're doing it. So you've been waiting for like two hours, and then all of a sudden it's the launch. Yeah, I think there's a bit as well where they're about to do it, and then there's like some kind of tiny, like not even malfunction, like a kind of, oh, no, hang on, don't do the countdown yet because we've, right. we've got to do something else or someone in their control room's not ready yet. Right. So you go, oh, I'll give it another... No, we'll, we'll get back to it in a minute. I'll give you another shout in a bit. Yeah. And then you're probably 40 minutes later, they're like, yep. Yeah, 
10. No, and you're like, what? And then, and, then, and, then, <laughs> and then it's like, and then they've launched. And then you're like, fucking hell, it's happening. And then it launches. And then it's like all the roar of it launching. And then it's in space. And then it all calms down. And, 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 um, and that's what Beatles get back was for yes. me. Like you're watching this slow thing happen. Then all of a sudden they're on the roof and they're yeah. doing the thing. I didn't realize that they fucking recorded the album on the roof. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, I knew that they performed on the roof. But I, I thought that was like a publicity stunt. I didn't realise that the microphones were actually recording the album. Well, the, the quality of them fucking... I thought it was just that. I thought they'd already recorded it at that point. Or no, no, got... no. They're, they're recording it on the roof. Like, oh, like, uh, like on the, on, at the bottom of the screen, it's like saying, this is the take that they use in the oh. actual album. And you're like, going, fucking hell. I don't know how many tracks. It might have been like a handful of tracks that they right. recorded on the roof. But, you know, it's windy up there. There's the police banging down the door. Um, fucking hell, Paul McCartney's calling that. Uh, like, like. Also, I think there's a real thing which I really dislike that idea. I, what I like is the idea, in in general, in the world, that everyone's basically friends, right? And you have all this stuff about, oh, by this point, they, they fucking hate each other. And you watch it and you go, no, they don't. Yeah. They're all really great mates. And they've been together and they've got little things that are annoying about each other. And... They're, they've been together so long and little things are really like tiny things become like super hurtful because they but basically because they love each other so much mm. that if any sort of small thing and they have a disagreement they all take it so personally and they're all sort of wounded by sort of these small moments but it's because they're such good friends yeah and that's what i think was really like it isn't that they're all like oh, i fucking hate him it's not that at all it's it's that they're such good friends. Well, let it be, which was uh, the film that was released, yeah, based on on that the exact same yeah. footage. Was was you know it was an hour and a half or whatever it was, and it was edited to make it look like they all hated each other and they were arguing to the point where when they were going back into it, Paul McCartney was like going, "Are we awful?" Yeah, and uh, Peter Jackson was like, "No, I can't even find the footage." Yeah, um, you that's up, all that stuff, you... isn't it over there? Uh, just tell me what to play and I'll fucking play it. That's all that stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, just yeah. And, they, and they've play. taken that and they've put it all together to make it look like it was worse than it actually was. And um, uh, and that was what was really nice about it. It was kind of like it was nice for us all to realise that you know, um, just to see how they worked. Together. I love that they just come incredible. in and it's like ten o'clock in the morning. They all show up for work. Yeah, they've all got their like they haven't had their breakfast yet, so someone brings them in some toast and they've got a cup of tea and having a bit of a chat about what they did last night and there's one there's one of the episodes is that john shows up an hour late and there's a real like where and when john turns up it's an hour late it's not that big a deal they're all driving in from the country wherever they live and john's coming and going oh i'm so sorry guys i've really let you and he's like so apologetic about being an hour late that he's wasted their time yeah and it's like it's fine john yeah you just it, there's bad traffic or you got up a bit late yeah and it, they've just everyone's just been chatting and it's not that big a deal but the mad thing is how quickly they're trying to put it together at the start and it's like yep yeah, it's the first of january is it 69 and they're like first of january and we've got a ringo's making the magic christian mm. that's isn't it he's like ringo's oh, got to start recording the, the ma- filming the, the worst, magic christian the worst bit is when peter sellers turns up it's yeah. like it's so cringy and uh, but my favorite bit is when um george helps ringo write uh is it octopus's garden oh yeah 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 um is it octopus's garden i think it is in that one no is it uh what's on what's the ringo song on that hmm. i know that might be abbey road actually octopus's garden 
Well, there's anyway, whatever. Yeah, but, they, but isn't Abbey Road? They they use tracks from this. Well, yes, I think they do. Yeah. I think it's all it's all like it's all together. Anyway, loved it, loved it. Loved um, it. Uh, one, one word, word review. Reviews. Got time for one more. Glad to hear you're back on the internet. The comedy podcast universe has been missing out on some decent podcasts. I enjoyed Nick in Edinburgh, as always. Can you watch all of the Revenge of the Nerds films and report back? Well, I guess that's we from, have that's to... That's from Frank, Fran Jolly. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Fran Jolly. Is that... Where did it say that? Oh, yeah, it does. I Can we watch s- all of the Revenge of the Nerds films? No. I think they would No, be. we're not... We're not, <laughs> we're not... We're not getting into this. No. Um, uh, mainly because... Uh, the, uh, the, they're not really very good films, um, in my honest opinion. Uh, but also, they have aged so poorly. I'd imagine. I think that there horrific, are. Aren't I they? think that it's a fucking minefield, and I don't really <laughs> want to get into it. Um, so that, that's uh, that's our fan mail this week. If you've got any more fan mail, please write in to the usual address. The usual dra- address, which is Nick, Nick and, and Nat's JCAS at gmail dot com, and that's that is N I C K N N D N A T J C A S at symbol. G M A I L dot C O M. Interactive. Great. Um, uh, we've also uh, got our very first touching, touching tips. tips. Touching tips. Uh, and this week, I'll be touching tips with John Bone. Did 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 Brian, Christopher, and JC three thousand. Uh, I can't express how overjoyed I am that you're all back. Once again, I'm looking forward to the weekly dose of your ruminations on films and whatever else has caught your fancy. And so, with the pleasantries taken care of, I'm in need of touching tips from you fellows. How do you deal with an arsehole in the cinema? By that, I'm referring to people talking incessantly or using their phones and thus illuminating uh, the vicinity. Do you ask them to stop? Do you do nothing and hope the twat ceases their annoying behaviour? Or do you have other methods to deal with movie-going thundercunts? Any advice? Greatly appreciated. Cheers, John. That's a good question. It is a good question. I was. I think touching tips is more agony ants, isn't it? Is Look, that, does that is, count? Yeah, but this is fine. Okay. Um, I do nothing and just fume about it. At most, I'll probably do a look. I might do it like turn around or do a kind of, but I I internalize it and I just uh, just get furious. Uh, yeah, that's what I do. Uh, when I went to see Halloween ends, uh, there was a person that kept putting their uh, talk, their light on, um, and I couldn't work out what it was. Um, oh, I, no. I, I still can't work out what it was, but they kept putting their light I, and oh yeah, they were filming the screen. That's what they were doing. So they kept putting their light oh, on no. during the. During the film, and uh, and everyone was irritated. So I guess I guess John Bone. What I do is I fold my arms and uh, I look around. And if I make eye contact with anyone else that's looking around, I look at them and I sort of roll my eyes at them. And I. Yeah. But the, f- the the few times that I have bothered saying anything in cinema, once uh, just before Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets started, there was a woman that was behind me, uh, just as the Warner Brothers logo came up. Uh, she had about 15 kids with her. And at the top of her lungs, uh, she shouted, Come on, Harry! And clapped. And nobody joined in with her. 
and I think she basically policed herself there. Yeah, uh, yeah. She she ruined that <laughs> she ruined that film for herself. For the next two and a half hours, she was sat there going, "Why did I have to say, come on, Harry?" Um, uh, when I went to see uh, the Star Wars special edition, yeah, uh, the 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 screen broke like just as it was beginning. So we'd wait. It was, it was 1997. <laughs> we'd all sat down. We'd all travelled on by bus to Hatfield. We're all sat down. Got the uh, 20th Century Fox. 20th Century Fox fanfare, fanfare was blaring, and uh, and then uh, do you know John Williams wrote that in the same key? Uh, he wrote he wrote Star Wars in the same key as the fanfare, so oh, that it blended in together. Lovely stuff. There you go. Um, uh, so uh, just as it was beginning, the, um, uh, the the projector broke or whatever it was, and there was a delay. And I turned around to the person that was b- behind me, and I sort of like rolled my eyes, and uh, they just they just stared directly <laughs> into <laughs> my soul. very soul like I was the biggest cunt on the planet and I just sat back down again like not going to interact again I think I've been about I went to see well hang on the only, okay. and the only other time I've interacted was uh, there was someone that was talking during Watchmen and uh, and they were making loads of noise and it was an empty screening and there was like four oh. people and I just got up and I went over to him and I just said shut up right into his ear like uh, like Rorschach and uh <laughs> Uh, and he did, <laughs> but I wouldn't recommend that <laughs> because go, that's how that's how it, that's how things go very badly. Um, I went to see. I went to the BFI IMAX, and if you've ever been there, they do a thing where someone comes out before, after all the trailers, just before the film itself starts. Yeah, a member of staff comes out and goes on a microphone at the side of the sort of auditorium. At IMAX, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, says, yeah. "Hi, welcome to BFI IMAX. It's uh, Europe's biggest screen." And we're all excited to watch, to welcome you here. And when you've come in, you can't go out that way anymore. Uh, but there will be some illuminated exits at the top of the uh, at the top of the uh, the screen, and you can exit that way. Um, we'll be there if you're looking to the toilet, but you can't go out the way you came. Now sit back, relax. You're all excited for the film, yeah. Sometimes even do a bit like it's Jody's birthday today. Happy birthday, Jody. And they they do a bit of that, and they go, uh, but they go, okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy. And the film I'd gone to see was uh, Ready Player One, the Steven Spielberg film. I'd gone to see that. And the person giving the introduction said, so everyone, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Uh, Player? Player One? And she said that, like, she'd forgotten the name of the film, and I went, that's a good sign. (laughs) <laughs> and you realise that when the film started, I went, this film's going to be dreadful. And it was so bad. But it's one of those films which all it is is nostalgia. The only thing people like, you've got bits where Robocop oh, pops up Freddy for a Kruger, bit. Oh, there's Freddy Krueger. There's Chucky. For no reason. Steven Spielberg is directing Freddy Krueger and Chucky. Yeah. It's got um, bits where the Iron Giant turns up and it's basically using your own kind of fondness for things of the past in a film that's dreadful to give you a a kind of uh, sort of cheap buzz of mm. like, oh, there's them. And it makes you feel like, oh, God. And I was like cringing at all these different um, different like, appearances that appear for no reason, just for this thing. And there was a guy next to me who was loving it so much. And I remember thinking, I get that you don't want me next to you because I'm just like, oh, oh God. <laughs> I hate it. I was like so visibly like sinking in my seat and getting angry with the film, which was dreadful. That like, was dreadful. 
and this guy next to me was one he was having that experience like ah it's it's robocop and it's night rider or whoever shows up <laughs> it's, it's it's a bully from bullseye pops up it's um <laughs> just for anything it's dusty bins <laughs> dusty bins pops up or whatever is the thing that pops up next and i was fine i was just this is just winding me up it was just uh and i felt like i i almost feel sorry for it you want i wanted to apologize to him and go i'm sorry you're sat next to me because i hate this um, and i'm sure i'm ruining your enjoyment of this film that you might be looking forward to seeing but it was dreadful so i think sometimes i'm the bad one yeah yeah. Uh, the other thing that you can do in a cinema if people are making noise is just at the top of your lungs go, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up! Uh, give that a go. <laughs> um, and that was Touching, Touching Tips. Touching Tips! Um, and if you've got your own bit of agony aunt solution... Oh yeah, totally, actually, isn't it? Of course, if, that's it. of course that's perfect. If you, if you need any advice for anything that's going on in your life right now, uh, feel free to touch tips with me <laughs> and <laughs> Daniel <laughs> Metcalf. Uh, by simply writing in to nickandnat, jcas, at at gmail.com and just put in the subject heading, Touching Touching Tips. tips. You Um, can also, if you want to, you can reply to us on Twitter, which is, I think it's... It's the 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 underscore jcas. You can find us on Twitter and you can find us on Instagram. Um, And that's uh, also at the... JCAS. Yeah. And if you've got anything, any any questions, any fan mail, anything you want to write, you can either send it to the email address. Uh, that's Nick and Nats at JCAS at gmail.com. N I C K A N D N A T J C A S at symbol G M A I L dot C O M. Or you can just write it on um, uh, on the latest uh, post on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Also on Instagram. The JCAS is just the JCAS, T-H-E-J-C-A-S, no underscore, underscore on Twitter. In between, the, 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 the JCAS. So it's time for our feature presentation. Feature presentation. Now, uh, so Nathaniel, what did we both watch this week? We both watched Starman. Starman, the John, John Carpenter the John Carpenter movie, Starman. Now, I've always been saving Starman in my back pocket. I have to say, I watched it over Christmas, but then um, I watched it again last night just to remind myself. Okay. Um, I've never seen Starman. It's what I, I think what, in watching it, I realise I have seen bits of it. Yeah. I think it's one of them films that was on TV a lot when I was growing up. Um, and do you know what? It, Jeff Bridges is one of those actors that um, really improved with age. Mm-hmm. And... I never really liked him, so I never really liked Tron, and I never and, and well, that's later. I would say, <laughs> I, I would say Tron would be uh, a film where I um, was on TV a lot, but I never really connected. It's weird that Jeff Bridges is in the lead in Tron as mm. well. I always think, but like so, Jeff Bridges, uh, Tron, and Starman were two films that were repeated a lot in the eighties, growing up on TV and nineties, I suppose. And they were two films that I didn't really have time for. They never really connected with me. Yeah, I, um, I, and it was only really until uh, he did the Big Lebowski, where um, Jeff Bridges was sort of like rediscovered, where he became not not just cool, but like, um, uh, but like he started doing like really interesting things. Mm. And you get the impression he's probably more like 
the character in The Big Lebowski in real life as well. Yeah. You I, get the impression he's quite a cool, laid-back guy. Yeah. Um, he... Uh, so I've so I've never really I've seen bits of Starman, but I've never really given Starman like a huge go. Um, Similarly, I'm I'm I'd never I I was I was convinced I'd seen it in I have a memory of watching it in the nineties on Channel Five in the early days of Channel Five, and it's sort of surprising. And I, I think we'd even rented it, so I feel like I must have seen it. Watching it again, I was really struck by. I don't think I've seen this at all. Yeah, maybe little bits of it sort of, sort of started to ring bells, and I think it's partly because it's, it's quite forgettable. I think I don't think it's oh, bad. Really, I think it's quite forgettable. Well, I, do you know what? I was just going to defend it, but I have watched it twice, and there were bits in the second time that I watched <laughs> it that I just could not remember. So you watched since. it a month ago. I watched it just before Christmas, and <laughs> I watched it again, and it was just like I don't remember this, how this started. But um, what I would also say is. <clears throat> There are a few John Carpenter films that I've never seen that I'm saving in my back pocket mm-hmm. uh, from for the day that he is no longer making films. And he's not making films anymore, mm-hmm. and I'm only getting older, so what am I saving the films for? Exactly. What am I saving? The same with Stallone. There's a couple of Stallone films I've never seen that I'm saving. Um, but this is just like, I was just like, oh, no, I'm going to watch it. And now we're doing the podcast for me as well, watch all mm-hmm. this stuff. Um, but, yeah, I watched Starman. Uh, one word review. What do you make of Starman? Fantastic. Oh, yeah. One word review. I loved it. I loved it. And um, uh, I think maybe it runs out of... Um, maybe it runs out of steam. Maybe it's not funny enough. Maybe it needs to be funny. I think enough. it's a good film. I think everything about it, on paper especially, it's a perfect 80s movie. It feels like, it feels like it's absolutely within the canon of your Close Encounters, your ETs. It feels totally... It belongs there. Yeah. And it also feels like I absolutely get that this was another attempt by Carpenter to make a sort of... I can make these really mainstream spielberg type films. Mm. It's Spielbergian, is what it is. Well, um, it's funny, because um, my girlfriend, who's not really seen any films, when she was watching it... Um, she said, this reminds me of Jaws. And I said, that's really interesting mm. because basically what I would say about this film is it is so Spielbergy. It's got Karen Allen from Raiders of the Lost yep. Ark in it. Um, <clears throat> and I would say that the storyline, it was made in 1984. Yes. <clears throat> and the storyline is basically, it's a, it's a combination of E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third mm-hmm. Kind. And then later on... Uh, it, it 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 obviously I think it influenced something like Terminator Two, uh, right. which the second half of Terminator Two is a road trip where Arnold Schwarzenegger learns to be more human, and that's what the entirety of Starman is about. And the road trip element kind of makes it feel like Close Encounters. Um, uh, yeah, I, I found just it thought... really difficult to pinpoint what I thought was missing from it. It felt really like, I, as a kid, I remember always thinking, "Why is Nick Kurt Russell?" I was, that was my big thing. So why isn't it Kurt Russell? I don't know. I don't think Kurt Russell could have done this part. I think it's partly because it's a um, it's a more mainstream film. I think he is trying to slightly move away. I think Kurt Russell, in that era especially, is almost like he's like a B-movie actor almost. I, well, I also feel like Kurt Russell is deliberately trying to be kind of counterculture. Mm. Um, you know, and I think that... John Carpenter, rather than going, oh, we're going to get the guy, uh, f- we're going to get Snake Plissken and 
we I think he just went like we're going to do something that's like a, a, I mean Jeff Bridges is definitely a Kurt Russell type yeah and um and I think that I I think Jeff Bridges's performance in it is absolutely incredible and and when I was watching him I was just thinking I can't imagine Kurt Russell doing something like this. Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, Tron. I'd forgotten about Tron. I was trying to think, well, who is who is Jeff Bridges when this film comes out? And Jeff Bridges, in my mind, I was thinking, well, he's the last picture show, so he's quite legitimate. He's just about to do Jagged Edge. Yeah, and it's it's post, uh, what's the other one I was thinking of? Uh, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, post all that stuff. But Jeff, uh, Jeff Bridges is another child actor, isn't he? Because um, uh, Lloyd Bridges was his dad. Oh, uh, right, yeah. I, uh, so. I think Jeff Bridges was on the set of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Right. And kind of brought up, and Bo Bridges was his brother. So he was brought up in, he, he, like, um, like Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. Kurt Russell was a child actor. I'm not sure if... His dad was an actor, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if... Um, if uh, Jeff Bridges was like as prolific a child actor as yeah. I think maybe he had a break and then he came back into it l- later on uh, but they've both kind of like got fairly similar backgrounds where they were ingrained in Hollywood from an early age like Kurt Russell was the last thing that Walt Disney wrote on a piece of paper mm. Walt, like, before he died on his deathbed Walt, Walt Disney wrote down Kurt Russell um, Kurt Russell now is like the last sort of touch point of like a golden age of Hollywood. He's the end of the line, isn't he? Of, uh, he his first film was in, it happened at the World's Fair with Elvis. Mm. And um, he kicked Elvis in the shin in the uh, in the film. And it's kind of like you've got Kurt Russell making his screen debut in an Elvis musical. And, and he's still around today making, you know, Christmas movies. Um, so it's like... Uh, so, they, so, so, so they do have sort of like similar backgrounds, and I, and it is one of those things where you're watching a John Carpenter film where Kurt Russell isn't in it, and you're just thinking, well, why have you picked Rowdy Roddy Piper and not Kurt Russell? Mm. Why have you picked? Um, and I think Jeff Bridges has a has is is the same type, but he's got a different set of skills. He's yeah. such it's such a jittery, twitchy, um, uh, like Kurt Russell is great at being. Um, uh, the hero. Yeah. He's great at being the anti-hero. He's great at being kind of like the all-American guy. He's great at t- of taking the piss out of that kind of trope, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, and this is a very nuanced, tiny performance. And I feel like Kurt Russell is a very like broad. He's yeah. he, he 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 has like um, he finds subtlety within the broad characters, yeah. right? Whereas this is all. Uh, minute tiny kind of like reactions like the whole time it's not a big performance it's a small performance yeah. i think kurt russell's larger than life and jeff bridges sort of like disappears yeah. into this character and he's like a he plays a sort of quite simplistic alien who is uh sort of learns about humanity in the way that you would imagine it to there's little bits of so, like this is a so, mainstream so, so, man so, who fell to work so uh, what what uh, john carpenter had made uh halloween he mm-hmm. was he was the big guy and then off the back of halloween what did he make he made uh halloween so he's done pre the thing the, oh the, the fog the, escape from, from new york the thing was a massive was going to be a, like a big studio big picture uh, for Universal, and uh, it was a big flop. And then he's sort of like recovering; he's licking his wounds. Christine, I think, it was just before this as well, which was a Stephen King adaptation, and it was kind of like that was just off the back of uh, Carrie and The Shining. 
Christine's probably quite a good bridge between the two because it does sort of feel like it wants to. It's got a, it's got a foot in two worlds where it could almost be mainstream. It's doing that kind of fifties nostalgia. That's the big thing at the at the time. Christine but is it's brilliant. Too, it's it's too dark. I think Christine. Yeah, right. But and the beginning too, the beginning yeah. of Christine when they're filming the car, yeah. like it's a woman, and it's like, and it's all like they're they're. Uh, it's, uh, bad to the bone, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, and they basically there's a close up of uh, the car's like r- tail lights, and it's kind of like going. It's like objectifying the yes. car like it's a woman, um, you know, in in like the bad days. And uh, and and I think that's such a sort of like a satirical way of filming the. You know, it's, it's brilliant. We're not on Christine. We're on Starman. So Starman was 1984. John Carpenter wanted a big hit. Um, it's so Spielbergy. It feels like it almost. It it's lacking um, a lot of the elements that make a Spielberg film a Spielberg film. I would say uh, it's not. It's not funny. It's not as funny. And there's places where there could be humour. What I was interested. What I found interesting about Starman um, was that um, that there were loads of stuff in it that is so quintessentially John Carpenter that I've not seen in a lot of other John Carpenter films. Go on. So now there's stuff that's that you get now where they're pastiching, like Stranger Things, but also there was this film called The Void that I watched, uh, which was very John Carpenter-esque. Okay. Um, and and it's and it's a stylistic thing. You know, it, it's kind of like people go, oh, we'll take John Carpenter and we'll make it like John Carpenter-esque. And then you see stuff that's in stuff that's like deliberately retro uh, and deliberately throwing back to the 80s. Um, <clears throat> and they use these John Carpenter things. But it's kind of stuff that I've not really seen loads in John Carpenter movies. Mm-hmm. But when you watch Starman... Uh, it's not. It's a family film, or it's a kids. It's not really a kids film, but it's like it's a family film. It's mm. a roma, It's a romantic movie. Uh, it's not a horror film. It's not. Um, it's not. There's it, thriller elements, but really, it's a, like a romantic comedy slash. I guess it's a, it's a thriller. They, uh, it's a race against time, of course, uh, but the, it doesn't really ever feel particularly urgent. Um, they've got three days to get from one place to another place. Um, Can we do it in three days? Yeah. Yeah, we can do it in three days. Not only that, <laughs> but um, but there's a last minute kind of detour where they accidentally go the wrong place, yeah. and then it's like, is that going to be a problem? No, nah, it's not even going to be a problem because um, they were they were miles that they, they they were early, and uh, and now they've got hours to play with. Um, yeah, like the the I think some of the shots in it are the most beautiful shots that John I've seen in the John Carpenter film. I think feels the, expensive. The lighting in it that feels expensive. There's a bit at the end when there's these, there's like, there's these three triangular formations of helicopters that are flying. There must be, I think it might be three formations of six, so I th- or, or or seven. So maybe there's like twenty, twenty military helicopters that are all flying at the end in formation, and that looks expensive, you know. Um, Seeing John Carpenter play with this sort of budget, the lighting is incredible. The shots are incredible, and these are like lighting and shots that they've been. You know, re- this is John Carpenter esque. You know, and they and and, and they use some of the shots are beautiful. The, the shots at the end when the spa- spoilers spoiler uh, when the spaceship comes along, uh, that they're beautiful uh, when it's snowing at the end. Um, it, it it looks gorgeous. There's a bit when. Um, 
uh, when text comes up on the screen. And you go, that is so John Carpentry, but I've not really seen it in that. It's the sort of thing that you would see in a pastiche. Mm -hmm. When you're watching Starman, it's so John Carpentry that it's like this is almost works as a parody of what John Carpenter or a pastiche of what John Carpenter does. And they also have like that huge kind of like uh, gridded uh, computer screen readouts mm -hmm. that they've got, which again feels like you're in a John Carpenter film. Uh, I thought the alien stuff was really weird and surreal and it mm -hmm. reminded me of the man who fell to earth. Um, yeah. All the so shots. The point are, where it has that weird bit at the start where you've got that, which is very, again, very much of its time where you've got, the radio signal picking up all these little th like missives from Earth and it's things, and then it cuts to satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Yeah, it does. It does cut to satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. And at first you think oh, that's a bit kind of like, um, like not. it's a bit like a gag, mm. yeah? But actually when the sa it's playing it on a satellite and then, the, and then you see this huge planet and the satellite drifts towards the planet, and then the music, you know, Mick Jagger singing Satisfaction sort of um, uh, fades and gets dimmer and dimmer and quieter as the satellite goes away from the screen. To, and it's chilling. It's like absolutely, you hear mm. this modern music coming out of this satellite and it's in the depths of space. And, it's, and, I, and I found that, I found it haunting. I thought it was at first you think it's like oh they're, they're starting with like an energy kick of like rock music and that's how they do it but it actually they use it to sort of like show kind of like how deep into space you are and how alien uh, human music is like in the depths mm. of space it's just I was it was creepy with, uh, did you know why what not why it, not star man <laughs> sure right <laughs> sure but it, what it made me think it, what it made me think was uh, it made me feel like uh, like how alone we are in the universe. Yeah. Oh, I like, thought that sequence was brilliant. Like and the beautiful. um, like the space jockey and Alien. Mm. When 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 you see the space jockey and Alien, and there's no context yeah. for it. Prometheus hasn't been made yet, and and ruins all that. There's no context for it. You just see like this lonely alien astronaut that died in the depths of space, and now he's fossilized, and now we've come across him, yeah. and it's like. And it's like, how big is space? There's this alien in a movie called Alien that isn't even the alien. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's it's just as you, I just thought Starman was just people. And, and what was interesting about it was you kind of like go, well, what is Starman? And Starman is basically, it's a sci-fi take on Truly Madly Deeply. Or mm. Truly Madly Deeply is a... Um, it's like a, it's a supernatural take, take on uh, on Starman. Yeah, it's it's basically it's the same movie. It's, it's yeah, it's similar. It's not dissimilar to um, ET, but the alien is humanoid, and it's it's a romance rather than a friendship. Karen Allen, uh, her husband has died, and her husband is Jeff Bridges, and she's in mourning, and she's absolutely devastated, and she's drinking wine, and she's like replaying old home movies that they've they've filmed and then an alien entity comes along and uh, um, takes over her dead husband's image and then she has to you know take him on a road trip to get him to a place and you know she, she struggles with it um, she knows it's not her husband but um, but it's a reminder and it's like it's a chance for her to say goodbye to him again yeah. and it's exactly kind of like what they do with Truly Madly Deeply um, um, 
I wouldn't say it's as moving as Truly Madly Deep, but it is incredibly sad towards the end. And I just thought it was I, like it's it's John Carpenter, and I know that John Carpenter is a funny can, is a is a funny guy, but he can make funny films, and I know that he can make tense films and exciting films and all that. But I didn't know that he can make something that was like this sort of like yeah. human. I think, I mean, I think that's it. I think he's capable of it. I think it's it's sort of showing off a bit and, and him almost wanting a mainstream career and being like, I can do this too. But I think, and I think it's a really good example of that kind of Spielberg-y, 80s, mainstream sci-fi. But to me, it feels like, but this is like, if it was Robert Zemeckis, if it was Frank Marshall or... Chris Columbus doing it. It feels like one of those to me. Like it feels like it's another one that would have been exec produced by Spielberg. Well, it was exec produced by Michael Douglas, right? right? Yeah. Who again is of, and, and I don't know, uh, you know, he is of that canon. Or, you know, he's of like the Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. the Jeff Bridges, the Michael Douglas. You know, they were all interchangeable. Those those kind of actors, yeah. I felt. And at that time, though, Michael Douglas plausibly wouldn't have been famous enough to do it I think, and would have been wrong i think uh, yeah michael douglas wouldn't have wouldn't Works. have been right I, and, and that's the thing it's kind of like you kind of um you, when you look at those actors harrison ford um you, you look at those actors you put them put them all together and you go well who would be good for this part and like a, a lot of them could play indiana jones mm. uh, and michael douglas has his go at indiana jones when he was romancing the stone i don't think many people could have got away no. with i think maybe Maybe Harrison Ford could have done this part, right? Maybe. But it is a little bit like not, uh, you know, left field for yeah. him. But it is the sort of thing that it's all, you know, um, it's almost like the sort of role that he would go on to play in regarding Henry. Yeah. Um, but um, it's it's yeah. I think it's it. I think I think it had to be Jeff Bridges. I think mm. I think he, he's great. Whereas director wise, I think this could be, and it felt like a Chris Columbus or a I don't think Zemanics it did. I think it felt like it felt like in the same way that um, Poltergeist was Toby Hooper, but it felt like a Spielberg film. Yeah. I feel it, this felt like a Spielberg film, except for the fact that aesthetically, um, and maybe pacing wise, and, and his interest in other places. But I think aesthetically, it felt like a John Carpenter film. Even the special effects that they use that have dated somewhat are the sort of special effects that people would aspire towards if they were making a, a, a pastiche or a tribute to John Carpenter. Like in the context, I thought the whole film was like a trip. I thought it was like, it was like um, you can enjoy it from a story level point of view, but I enjoyed it as an experience just mm-hmm. watching it from beginning to end and letting it wash over me it felt like the ultimate john carpenter movie in a, in a way which was which i've put it off for years because i didn't want to watch kissing right and now i've finally watched it and i've i've matured as a human being and i've watched this film and i just thought i don't, I, I i would say the first 20 minutes of it i i i in my head i was like going is this the best is this my favorite John Carpenter film is this the best John Carpenter film out I think, there? I, think I don't think it is. I think it's funny because I think you could argue, and I think there's probably people that don't like John Carpenter films or don't like that sort of independent aesthetic that he brings to a lot of films. That would say, "Well, this is probably his best film because it's it feels so kind of mainstream and accomplished, and it's good." That's why I was kept saying, "It's good," but I just don't. It's I'm just not. It's slicker. It's slick, and it's not. But I just and and I miss. 
that I missed like what I like about John Carpenter films. And I think what I love about John Carpenter films is their counterculture. Mm. They are they are about um, the anti-hero. Um, but then uh, that's what Karen Allen is in this mm. film. She's doing something illegal. She's uh, she's uh, anti-government. She's driving this alien from one place to another because she sort of like believes in a course that that um, isn't. Um, isn't sanctioned by the government. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of like... So I think that she is like an anti-hero. It is a counterculture thing. It is a very mainstream thing. It's got all of the edges shaved off. And even as a filmmaker, I think John Carpenter can be quite scrappy. And this film is just slick. It's not at all. It's not not scrappy. There's not rough around the edges. There's no signs of kind of like an independent filmmaker. And do you know what it also reminded me of? That fucking film that... um, Is it... Uh, the one about the bear that Mark Hamill has a cameo in it recently. Oh, Brigsby Bear. Brigsby Bear. It reminded me of. And okay. Now yeah. that Brigsby Bear film is definitely an eighties throwback, yeah. if not a John Carpenter esque movie. Right. Uh, in a uh, and there was also. Did you see that independent film that was basically a play set on a spaceship? No, I don't think so. I can't remember what that was. I'll dig it up. Um, but there was this Brigsby Bear film that came out a few years ago. And that was very much kind of mm. like uh, John Carpenter-esque um, uh, uh, kind of filmmaking. And, and, and this is the movie that that sort of stuff is based yeah. on. You know, you say John Carpenter-esque and then you look at The Thing. Who's The Thing? And you kind of like go, The Thing is such a unique film in its own right that it doesn't, it doesn't have all the neon in it. It doesn't have all... It's not like this John Carpenter film. Then you see... Um, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, that's so late on in his career that you can't go, well, that's John Carpenter. It's 10 years after his first film. He's made so many films before Big He's Trouble in Little China. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and you go, well, that is John Carpenter. Halloween is an independent film that is very scrappy around the edges. He's inventing a thing, and you kind of like go, well, what is... And when you're looking at all the John Carpenter aesthetics that are used these days that everyone is obsessed yeah. with, then it's kind of like you go, well, Starman has all of it. Right. And... It has that slickness that modern films have when they are going back and kind of yeah. aping him. Do you know what? That's what it is. It's much more like someone doing a knockoff now. But the people that do knockoffs are almost going, but I'm going to put my own thing in it. It's like it's a bit more. He can do that. I just think it would be a shame. I, I feel like had his career, if, if Star had been a massive hit, I feel like if his career had moved more, I think probably he would have preferred in his own kind of psyche and when he thinks about his contemporaries, I think maybe he would have preferred to carry on along this line and be like, I'm a mainstream studio director. But I think we lo- we we would have lost something, I think, if he'd have made more films. Well, there were, there were spikes where he did this sort of stuff. Hmm. And even the thing was him trying to be a mainstream oh, yeah. movie director. This film feels very much like John Carpenter's stab at I'm going to be... Uh, Spielberg. Yeah, I can do that. I, I, and you can. And That's he can. what he proves. And he did he it. He goes, yeah, I could do that. And it's like, yep, yeah, agreed. And I think the <laughs> sentimentality, there's not, I, I think, I think Karen Allen's performance in it is absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. She's so beautiful in it and her eyes are so big. Yeah. And I just think uh, the way that she um, explains things to Jeff Bridges and the way that, yeah. uh, um, the, the scene in the diner when she's, I just, it's another film that makes you go, 
it's weird that Karen Allen didn't get massive. Karen, Karen Allen should have been the biggest star on the fucking planet. After you go, like, Animal House, Raiders of the Lost Ark, this. You yeah, you, start, you, you just think, well, what was what was missing? What who? Who decided who that she yeah. wasn't going to be yeah. going to be huge? Because because she should have been an absolutely massive star. Um, you know, uh, uh, as she is, she's got mm. an incredible you know list of films that she that, that, that she that she acted in. But she's so wonderful in this. Um, I just I, you know she's this, Jeff Bridges is great and. Karen Allen is fantastic. Yeah, the only Allen's thing, the, the only thing you got is you got the guy out of the Untouchables in it, who's yeah. basically a knockoff Richard Dreyfuss, yes. and he is probably one of the least cool, cool characters that you know. He's meant to be cool. Yeah. He's meant to be like the, he's the audience. Yeah, he's the guy in you. You know, you're meant to be like that guy. He's Peter Coyote in ET. Yeah, but he's not cool. But but uh, but he's and he's trying to be cool. He's got like this cigar and he's doing the thing. I would say that if 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 you put someone else in in that role, this film would work. Like, yeah, uh, it doesn't even not work. better. That's it. It's. It. I don't know. I don't know. It's. It's really accomplished. I think it's a really good film. I just went away from it thinking. I just didn't love it. That was my like. It's like almost like it didn't. It didn't get me. Yeah, and I know what you mean. Um, I, I know what you mean because I also feel that there's something about the story where it's predictable. I've seen it before and I know where yeah. this is going. And I get and I get that. But as as an experience, I really loved it. Um it's not my favourite John Carpenter film, but um but it is now I think I, I think I might prefer it to something like Halloween. Right. And um uh and I do you know what it's nice to be able to go, do you know what, I'm in the mood to, for a cry tonight. <laughs> and, and I've got a John Carpenter film to put on. Do you know what I mean? I Do just, you know what? That'll be interesting, I think, in the coming years now, how often it comes back into the, I'll put that back on. I watched it twice in a month, mm. and uh, and I didn't have a problem with that at all. Yeah. And and I just think that some of the visuals in it are so breathtakingly oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Some, it's some of the most beautiful shots that he's ever done. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of the era as well, I think. Of the era, it felt like, the, it almost feels like the... The ultimate eighties movie. Yeah. If you said, if you said to someone, um, if you said to your girlfriend who doesn't watch a lot of films, "Oh, this is one of the biggest films of the eighties." That's my specific wouldn't... girlfriend. Yes. Yes. Um, we're not just like saying to you, audience members. No, I think if you our, say to someone, to our listeners, if you go and say to your girlfriend who doesn't watch much films, yeah. but but, on that, <laughs> but I think you could. So tell... if so, listeners, if you just tell your girlfriend who doesn't watch films. <laughs> Um, if you, if I was like, to tell her that it was one of the oh, biggest hits of the eighties, I mean, yeah, maybe I suppose I, you would. You maybe would, culturally, I'll, you would know. Wouldn't I'll you, start lying to her. Yeah. I'll start lying to her when I when I make her watch all these. Things. I, I just <laughs> no, but you was... think like it feels like that you could understand that this could be what this this might have been one of the biggest films of the eighties. Yeah, but You'd also, go, yeah, of course it would be. Also, it's it's depending on what your sensibilities are. This could be kind of like the perfect gateway movie and to get you into John Carpenter. Mm. You know, it's certainly like the sort yeah. of thing that my mum could watch. Um, I never watched that um, that uh, Scarlett Johansson film where she was the alien that came. It was oh, yeah, yeah, filmed yeah. in Glasgow. Yeah, but this, like the 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 alien bits at the beginning, are so surreal and odd 
like even kind of like there's some stop motion in there and but it's so odd and weird that it almost feels like a modern film that is replicating 1980s movies well i was saying that about and i never i I never saw the scarlett johansson film but like in my head it's 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 kind of like a darker version of what this is yeah it's under the skin and under the skin it was like really influenced by man who felt worth and when i'm saying oh it's like man who felt worth you go it isn't really it's it's a bit like the first 10 minutes of Man Who Felt Worth. But Man Who Felt Worth is really nothing like it. It's much more like a Spielberg movie. But if you love those Spielberg movies, get on this. You will absolutely have a great time with it. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, so all we've got time for this week is we are going to now play the world-famous game, What Year? What Year? What Year? Uh, what Year is the game where I give a series of questions to which Nick Helm has to reply, What Year? the answer is um and he's usually one year no i mean we'll work it out next week um what (laughs) what year is the game where nick helm (laughs) i'm leaving all this in (laughs) i'm leaving it all in what year is the game where i have to uh, where you (laughs) where you say a random thing and then i have to tell you what year it is nick helm uh, what what Now it's time to play the game, what year? <laughs> now it's time to play the game, what year? In which Nick Helm has to answer, what year? Yeah. Two, two, uh... Sim- one rule, what year? Two points for a correct answer, one point for a year out. He's often a year out. Okay. Alec Baldwin played Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan in what year? 1990. Two points. Wow. Uh, Harrison Ford first played Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan in what year? 1992. Two points. Is it? Uh, ben Affleck played Patriot Tom Clancy's <laughs> Jack Ryan. In what year? Ooh, 2002. Two points. Fuck! <laughs> Chris Pine played Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. In what year? 2014. Two points! Wow. John, John Krasinski played Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan in what year? 2018. Two points! Wow! <laughs> the book Dracula by Bram Stoker was published in what year? Oh, I don't know. 1897. Two points! No way! No way! No way! Why? Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981, but is set in what year? Oh, 1938. 1936. Oh, I thought that was Simpler Doom. All right, yeah. What year did the Alice Cooper album School's Out come out? 1973. 1972! I'll give you it. Two points. What year did the TV show Murder, She Wrote? Don't give, me, don't give me that, don't give me that. Okay. I should know One. that, I should okay. know that. I should know that. Fucking idiot. Fucking idiot. In my defence, they had four albums that year. Should be. No. What year did the TV show Murder, She Wrote come out? Oof, 1986. 1984. Oh, I almost said 1984. Of course it was 1984, you stupid cunt. <laughs> right, carry on. 50 First Dates was amongst the first titles to be released on the Blu-ray format. But in what year? Oh, come on. This is all impossible stuff now. (laughs) I can't believe I got Dracula right and then I got schools out wrong. And then that's thrown me. I'm having a wobble. All right. When did Blu-ray come out? 
Um, what, in the first batch of... The first batch of Blu-rays. 51st dates. 51st dates. Not 51st date. 51st dates with Drew Barrymore not, and Adam Sandler. Not the romantic comedy star Samuel Jackson and Robert Carlyle. <laughs> not that rom-com, no. Um, okay, so uh, 51st... That, that, to me, always feels like a, 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 a much later one. 2004. 2006. Oh, fuck. Okay, hell. so that is... Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, thirteen. You gotta be fucking kidding. Thirteen points. Lucky for me. Twenty. 20. And what was it last week? I can't remember. We need to start having a scoreboard, don't we? We do. Um, Oh, right. Okay, well, um, I didn't do too badly. No, I went to see the film Fifty First State with Samuel L. Jackson and Robert Carlyle. Uh, and uh, Sim- that's a bit arrogant of them. To go, do they what? They go and see all their films at the same time. And, and uh, Sinbad <laughs> from Brookside. Uh, and when we left, I liked the film. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed. It. I had a good time. I had a good time. As we were leaving, I just said a bloke behind me say, "That's the best film I've ever seen." <laughs> it really amused me. Now you just want to go. What do you mean? <laughs> the best. The best. The best film we've ever seen. seen. How many films have you seen? <laughs> one. I've seen one film, and that is the best one. Uh, next week, I'm going to see 51st Dates uh, to see how that compares. <laughs> um, yeah, well, or he rewatches it 10 years yeah. later and he's just like, it's not like anything I remember it. Uh, 51st State was famously written by a cab driver. Yes, it was. Uh, and uh, Samuel Jackson plays a Scottish lad uh, called McElroy. McElroy, yeah. But I always thought it was like, isn't it McElroy? I would have said McElroy. But it's McElroy. Um, there you go. That's uh, another episode of Consumer Debate. Uh, if you've got anything to write into us about, write into uh, Nick and, and Nat, Nat JCAS at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Uh, and uh, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, uh, tell your friends. I just want to say, Nick, that I appreciate you. And I appreciate you too, Nat. Later, Later losers. losers. Consumer Debate. Consumer Debate.